The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Thanks very much, Rod and Christopher, for playing this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Good. Glad you're all here to say. Uh, that hymn is a beautiful old battle hymn of the Republic, not Republic, of the Christian faith, I should say. And uh, when I planned the services out, I fully intended us to be in the next passage, which is all about the armor of God and spiritual warfare. I thought a good rousing song like that would be a great introduction. However... Given the way things go sometimes, uh, we're actually in the passage prior to that. So I love that hymn, but what we're going to look at actually is the passage before, which is about slaves being obedient to your masters. So let's take our Bibles. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 5 down to verse 9. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 5. The word of God says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let's ask for God's blessing again, shall we? Loving Father, again as we come with the word of God open before us, Father, we would submit ourselves to the Word of God and to you as our Heavenly Father. And Father, we ask this evening or this morning, Father, as we would look at this Scripture before us, we pray, O oh God, for the help of the Holy Spirit to unpack it and understand it. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would have freedom this morning in this room, in our own hearts and lives. Father, to take the words of Scripture and challenge us to the very core of our being, that we would go from this place changed and not the same. Father, it is our desire that every part of our lives would be an expression of worship to you, including the area of work. And Father, we ask you for your blessing. We plead again, O oh God, that Christ would be visible through all of this, that we would see him afresh this morning. And Father, we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Since 5 and chapter 1, Paul has been calling us to imitate God as beloved children. He said there, very simply, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and so on. And we've looked and unpacked that whole long passage, and I've shown you a couple times the logic chain that unrolls through that. And these last verses in 5 and verse 22 all the way down to verse 9 of chapter 6 are very much a practical, specific outworking of what it means to imitate God as beloved children. It means obeying and submitting in this particular case as employees to human masters. Now, 
One thing we should address very carefully and quickly, uh, some of you may remember a few years ago there was a Q&A program uh, prior to one of our national elections, and Kevin Rudd was asked a question about homosexuality. He was asked by a pastor, a Christian pastor in the audience, and he turned around and he fired back this comment about Paul advocating slavery in the New Testament. Is that what Paul was advocating? And the answer, and I feel so bad for the poor pastor standing there, he did not expect, I did not see it coming, and he just was a little unequipped at that moment to answer. And the answer is very clear. Paul does not advocate slavery in the New Testament. What he does do is he recognizes that in the culture in which he lived, slavery was a common thing. He makes the point in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 7 or 8, that if you are slaves and you are able to obtain your freedom to do so, but if you're not able to carry on and use that place that God has put you as a way to glorify Him and live in worship as a Christian, even in slavery. And here what he's doing, he's doing pretty much the same thing. He's encouraging slaves who are in that social structure for that reason to carry on living out their Christian faith wherever God has placed them. So we would take that and say, well, very simply, slavery doesn't exist anymore in our world. Uh, we know, sadly, it does in other parts of the world in an illegal state. But in our world, in our culture, slavery doesn't exist. So how do we apply this text? Do we just toss it aside as no longer relevant? And the answer is no, of course not. Because we're convinced that Scripture is relevant for every area of our lives. And so we would simply take the terms slave and master and we would pray and replace them with culturally specific terms to our culture, which would be employee and employer. Or if you like me, I'm an old carpenter, we didn't have fancy terms, we just called bosses and workers. The bosses showed up and we worked and the bosses went away and if we were good workers, we kept on working. And when they came back, if they found we hadn't done enough, we all got in trouble. So we tended to work pretty quick anyways. But we were bosses and workers and he's talking about slaves and masses. So we'll simply substitute those terms because in his culture, that was very applicable. But in our culture, this is applicable to us. And the word of God has a message for us from this text for today. The life of a disciple and a follower of Christ is to be different. Paul has been making that point over and over again <clears throat> since the beginning of chapter 4. A disciple is not what we become when we walk into church on Sunday morning. A disciple of Christ follows and obeys our master, Jesus Christ, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our hobbies, in our sports. You are a disciple as much when you're sitting in church worshiping God on Sunday morning as you are out on the golf course or as you are in your office at work or on the job site or in the hospital ward, or wherever it is that God has placed you for the bulk of your life, you are a disciple of Christ there as much as you are here. It's a mistaken idea that we have developed in our culture that Christianity is confined to these four walls when we come together to worship. It is not. And that's the point that Paul is making. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, she says to him, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here in Mount Ebal, I think it is. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
The day is coming when God will seek worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And what he does there is he quickly negates and deletes location as the idea of where we worship. And he enforces instead a total new idea, which is we worship in spirit and truth wherever we are. We can worship just like we have this morning on the, out in a field, gathered around a table, gathered around bread and wine, and we can remember the Lord and we can worship. We know that the Christians in the first and second century during persecution would often worship in catacombs and caves and holes in the ground. They would meet wherever they could. In recent history, behind the Iron Curtain, churches gathered in some of the most obscene, obscure places so they could do it secretly. We heard stories about gathering in the forest and the, and the woods of uh, Russia and uh, Poland and places like that where they were far away from prying eyes and they could worship together. Worship is not about a place and a space. Worship is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want us to see this morning how work is intimately acquainted and tied to our worship. We can worship whether we're playing golf or woodworking or doing plumbing or accounting or engineering or in church or wherever. Worship is possible because worship is not about a place. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every one of us serves or obeys someone in higher authority. Even business owners must serve in the sense of regulating government authorities. All mankind, every single one of us in this room, stands underneath some form of authority. Even if you're the highest executive of the biggest company in Australia, you're still in submission to the board of directors, or you're still in submission to the tax office, or you're still in mission, submission to government regulating agencies. We're all in, in submission to somebody. So when he says slaves or servants or employees, we can actually plug ourselves in there and the the lessons he gives apply to us. I want you to notice when he says in verse 9, he says, and masters do the same things. In other words, everything I've just told the slaves, every lesson for them applies equally to the masters as well as the servants. Uh, the Roman centurion, when he was talking to Jesus, he said this. He said, for I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes. And this one, come and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. You see the chain of authority there. Here's someone over him. He's under them and there are men underneath him. And so all of us stand in that line of authority somewhere. And there's somebody to whom we give an account and an answer to. Paul commands, Paul's commands apply to servants and to masters. As disciples of Christ, we all have Christ as our master. As disciples of Christ, whether employees or employers, our attitude, our integrity, our desires, and our knowledge, and of course, our worship are as unto Christ. And that's the point he's going to make. Just as... A wife's submission to Christ is displayed by her submission to her husband. And just as a believing child's submission to their parents, sorry, submission to Christ is displayed by their submission to their parents, so also as servants, as employees or employers, our submission to Christ, 
as Lord in our life is displayed by how we serve our human masters. I'm going to come back to the worship idea at the very end. So just plug that back in the corner of your mind and we'll come back to it at the end. We're called in Scripture... As disciples of Christ, we're called beloved children, 5 and verse 1. All through the book of Acts, he calls the believers disciples of Christ. We're also called the servants of Christ. If you get your computer search engine and do a little search on servant in the New Testament, you'll see that Paul and almost every writer that writes a letter in the book will refer to themselves as servants or slaves or bond slaves. I mentioned in your communion meditation about why I wanted to use that text. Because it spoke about Jesus, who was the doulos of God. It's the very same word we have right here in verse 5, slaves, be obedient. So the Lord Jesus knew what it was to be under authority, just as we know what it is to be under authority. And we are all servants of Christ. Well, our message there in a nutshell, if you want to, you can follow along on the little note sheet in your bulletin there. The message in a nutshell is simply this. As disciples and servants of Christ, we must serve and obey our human masters as unto Christ so that our work will be an expression of worship to God. In order for our work to become worship, it is necessary for us to work with the right attitude to work with integrity, to work with the right desires, and to work knowing certain things. And so our outline, there's five points there, and we'll move through them fairly quickly. This, the servant's attitude, number one. The servant's integrity, number two. The servant's desire, number three. The servant's knowledge, number four. And fifthly, the worship of work. So first of all, the servant's attitude. It is to obey in the fear of the Lord. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. He says, Servants, we are to be obedient. It means to be submissive, to subject ourselves. It means to bend our will to conform to the will of the one we are obeying. It means to hear, to listen to what we're being told to, and to give an answer, whether it's an answer of work or an answer of a verbal expression. When I was first uh, working, I had a, a Christian employee. His name was John. Uh, Hans Schilling was his, his full name. His father had been in the Luftwaffe during the war. And John Schilling was this guy who was a German fella. Uh, he was built a lot like Radu. So when he shouted orders at you, you ran quickly to fulfill the orders. And he would give me orders all day long, mostly along the lines of more wood, more nails, more wood, more plywood. And I would just run along, you know, as fast as I possibly could, carrying the wood and giving it to him. And, and I began to realize that you could sort of argue with him or reason with him. So I started saying, well, how about I do this? Give me this. Well, how about I do that? Well, give me this. And how about I do that? And he'd say, finally, one day he got frustrated. He looked at me. He said, you know, he said, you've always got another idea, a better idea. He said, what I want you to do is simply to do as you're told, to obey the commands I give you. He said, I've built hundreds of houses. I know exactly what I'm doing. You're an apprentice. You've been around for about four months. You haven't got a clue. Just obey the commands I was given. And I realized, yeah, you better do it his way. That and the fact that he signed my check, so I figured I'd do it his way and get paid. It was a better option, right? 
And he's, Paul is saying, listen, he's saying servants, employees, slaves, if you like, be obedient, be submissive, bend your will to the will of the one you are obeying. But notice Paul says we are to obey in a specific way. He doesn't say obey whether you liked it or not. He doesn't say obey grudgingly, obey and just kind of suck up your bad attitude. He says obey those are your masters according to flesh with fear and trembling. That describes a very specific attitude. It represents to us that being obedient with a godly attitude is what he desires for us. And remember again, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, telling us what we need to know as workers and servants and employers, employees. We are to obey with fear and trembling. And he's not suggesting as you might like to think, about fear and trembling of our earthly master, he's actually referring to something so much better than that, so much greater. A parallel text in Colossians 3 and verse 22 says this, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, listen, fearing the Lord. So in Colossians 3.22, he's saying almost exactly the same thing, but he changes and he adds a little bit to that line about fear and trembling by giving the fear an object, and it's fearing the Lord. So our obedience to our masters, our earthly masters, is to be in the fear of God. We are to obey our masters out of a fear of the Lord. And you say, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, if you want a great book to read, uh, Jerry Bridges, who's written some great stuff on the Christian life, he wrote one called The Joy of Fearing God, and I highly recommend it to you. But he said this, or to summarize what he said, he said, The fear of the Lord is to live in awe and admiration and amazement of the Lord our God. It's to live in reverence for God. It's recognizing that Christ is our true and ultimate Lord. It's recognizing that Christ is the one we ultimately serve. It's living out the prayer, holy is your name or hallowed be your name. What is, what does the Lord intend for us to know by that prayer? The Lord's name is holy. We already know that. Why would he teach us to pray that? And the answer is he's teaching us to pray, hallowed be thy name. And the idea is in my life. Hallowed be your name. To live in the fear of the Lord is to live in awe and admiration, amazement. To live realizing that God's name is holy in my life. Our obedience to human masters is an expression of our obedience to Christ. And I use pastoral ministry as an illustration because it kind of gets the point across. Just as a pastor works and serves the Lord in, a, in the context of a local church, he is serving God by working and serving in a church. It's exactly the same for a plumber or an accountant or a doctor or whatever it is. You are serving the Lord by your work for human employers. We are commanded to obey in reverent awe of the Lord. Our obedience is to be with fear and trembling of the Lord. It is to imitate God as his beloved children. Christ, again, is always our example. He admitted, sorry, he submitted himself to his father's will. Remember the story in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he went a little further and he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
In other words, I put aside my will and I'm doing it out of submission to you. He also obeyed in fear and trembling. There's only one verse that mentions this, but I want to go take you to it. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. It says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Meaning what? Jesus' prayer was heard because of his fear of the Lord, his fear of God. He was literally in reverent fear for God his Father, even though he is truly God and truly man, even though they share that wonderful fellowship, there is a sense of his understanding the authority of the Father over him, and in reverent submission to God, he cries out in prayer and he's heard for it. He is the example You think, you know, I don't know if I can submit to this boss I've got. He's a tough boss. He makes me work extra hard. He cheats me, does this, that, and the other thing. Ask yourself about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one who submitted himself and was obedient in fear and trembling all the way to death on a cross. Servants, slaves, employees, listen, let's obey our masters, our human masters with a godly attitude in fear and trembling so that our work will become worship. And we'll explain that at the end. Secondly, notice the the servant's integrity. He's integrity. He is to obey in the sincerity of his heart. I want you to notice something here for a second. In verse 5, he says, slaves, be obedient. Now, in the Greek, it's more like slaves obey. It's a very strong command. And then he explains how we're supposed to obey obey in 5 and 6 and 7. And then in verse 8, the next main verb is the verb knowing. So all these different things we're talking about here are how it is we obey our human masters. So we're to obey, first of all, in the fear of the Lord. And secondly, we are to obey with integrity, in the sincerity of our hearts. He says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers. Paul commands us to obey in the sincerity of our heart. Now, what does it mean to be sincere? It means to be honest, to be upright, to be genuine, to have an absence of pretense. And that's kind of what integrity is. Integrity is to be consistent. Uh, we talk about the integrity of a beam. Now, uh, for those of you not carpenters or engineers, we have beams in houses. Hold- this beam above me here, okay, that, that beam is holding up a lot of weight. Now, if we discover that halfway down the length of that beam, say right over where I do sitting, that there is a fatal crack in that beam, we would say the integrity of that beam has been compromised. And he's about to get flattened as the whole thing comes down top of his head. And we hope it won't happen because we like Radu, right? But that's the thing. The beam has to be consistent in its strength all the way through. If there's an inconsistency, a crack in that beam, the integrity of the whole beam is compromised. And what it means to have a sincere heart is to have a heart of integrity, a heart that is absolutely genuine, a heart that is absence of pretense. We're not putting on a show for somebody to watch. Paul says you're to obey in the sincerity of your heart. To have integrity means we obey when we're being watched and to obey when we're not being watched. 
many people notice when the boss is in the room, right? Because all of a sudden everybody's heads down and they're they're typing like mad or they're doing what they're supposed to be. You know, I used to cut blocks, right? When you're an apprentice, they get you to cut blocks for all the blocking we need for a house. And it's a boring job, you know, you need 300 blocks, 27 and a quarter inches. So you set up your thing and you just chop, cut, chop. You know, it just gets really boring after a while. And after a while, you know, your mind starts to wander and your speed starts to slow down. And you're cutting less blocks per minute than you're supposed to. And then the boss walks by and it's amazing. Life flows through your limbs and all of a sudden there's a bunch of energy and you start cutting like mad because you know you're supposed to have more blocks cut. Well, that's obeying. Not sincerely, not with integrity. You're obeying in a way that has no integrity because you've seen the boss's eyes are boring on the back of your head and you know you're supposed to be working faster, so you pick up speed. Paul says, don't obey like that. He says, obey in the sincerity of your heart. Obey as those who are watched by God. Obey as those who are servants of Christ. We know our Lord Jesus Christ. We know God the Father sees everything that we do. One of his names in the Old Testament, remember the story of uh, Hagar. She's running away from Sarah. And she puts the boy down and she doesn't want to watch him die. So she goes a short distance away and sits down underneath a bush. And God meets her and he speaks with her. And at the end of that time, she says, Thou art the God who sees. I think I told you the story of my mom, right, with the tin of cookies. You know, I got to be, you know, well padded, right? It's, it was simply because I always found the tin of cookies. And my mom, could, she couldn't figure it out because she'd make a tin of cookies. It was supposed to last a week and it would last a couple hours. And one day my mom got really smart. She opened the tin of cookies up and she put a little piece of paper inside. And I went in there to get my, you know, unseen snack, pull the lid open and look down and there's a little piece of paper that says, Thou God seest me, right? And I knew my mom had figured it out. She knew if I knew that God was watching that I would be not so close, so quick to act. And Paul says, listen, I want you to obey in the sincerity of your heart. Obey as one who is not an eye service giver. He doesn't obey just when people are watching. He obeys when he knows that nobody in this worm can watch, but that God can see. Have sincerity. Paul himself is an example of a, per, of a servant with godly integrity and sincerity of heart. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. By the way, if you get a birthday card from me, You'll probably see, happy birthday, God bless, Nels, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament to encourage people in their service for the Lord. This is what he says. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Hear what he's saying? My goal is not to be pleasing to the human masters that watch over me. My goal is to be pleasing to God, to Christ my Savior who sees everything that I do. Nothing escapes God's attention. Paul makes it clear that we are to be those who please God and not men. He said in Galatians 1 verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant. I would not be a doulos. Same word again. I would not be a slave of Christ. Paul makes it clear. 
If you're living to please men, you cannot be a servant of God because your attention is divided and you're looking and living by eye service as men pleasers. But of course we know beyond Paul, Christ again is our greatest example. Christ had godly integrity to obey his Father with, with a sincere heart. He had intention in all he did to please his Father by his work. He said in John 4.34, Jesus said to the disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You get what he's saying? It wasn't literally that doing the work of the Father fed him and so he didn't need food. He didn't need food. He was a human. He was a man. He needed food to sustain his body. That was a part of being truly man. But what he was saying was, my food, my satisfaction is to do the will of the one who sent me. In other words, I get my satisfaction by obeying my Father. That's what pleases me. That's what pleases him. He had the godly integrity. <clears throat> turn it down a little bit, yeah. There we go. Paul makes it clear that we are trying to please God and not man. Servants, let's have the integrity to obey with a sincere heart, to be pleasing to God who sees us all the time, that our work may become worship. Thirdly, the servants desire. The third service desires here. Notice in Ephesians 6, 6 and 7, he says to obey not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. We are to obey as slaves of Christ. It's the same word again, doulos. It means one who is consumed with fulfilling every desire and command of their master. Imagine you go to a restaurant. Imagine I go to a restaurant and uh, I go and I sit down with Heather and we're at the, the place and they give us the menu and you look through and I'm going to take this off because it's getting warm. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we're looking through the menu and uh, we see there uh, my favorite bacon cheeseburger with the fried egg and the, and the beetroot and uh, that's the greatest invention in the world. The Aussie burger. God, I love that. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm already starting to salivate, you know, and I'm thinking about the Diet Coke, and I'm thinking, everything ready to go. And the waiter comes up to me, and she looks and says, what will you have for your meal, sir? And I say, well, I'll have the, the double bacon cheeseburger with the extra bacon and the extra egg, and I'll have the, the, the king-size fries, and I'll have the, the Diet Coke, you know, because I want to cut down my calories. And, and the waiter looks ahead and says, okay. And she says, what will you have? And Heather, of course, is wise, and she says, I'll have a salad. And then he looks at me and says, you know, I think what you really need is a green salad with no dressing and water. That's what we'll bring you. And you say, what kind of, what kind of waiter is that? You see, his job in that restaurant is to be consumed with fulfilling the desires and the wishes of the tables he is waiting on. So if I order two cheeseburgers and three Cokes, his goal is not to say two salads and two large waters. He says, no, I'll bring you the cheeseburger and the Coke. But here's the thing. Paul is saying, listen, slaves obey, sorry, obey as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Notice he doesn't say obey slaves of your human masters. He said that already. Now he switches it. He says, I want you to obey as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God. 
In other words, all of us, wherever we are, whether you're on the golf course or you're in the workshop or in the office or whatever it is you do for your job in the classroom, your job is to work and do that work as a slave of Christ, fully and completely consumed with doing the will of God. That's our role. It doesn't matter where you work, that's your role. To work as a slave of Christ. So what is the will of God that we're to be doing as servants of our human masters? And listen to this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you work, what level of government or private enterprise you're involved in. If you're a soldier or a sailor or a tinker or whatever that bit is, this is what it is. The will of God is to glorify him in everything you do. Paul said... Uh, sorry, Isaiah said this first. He said, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Every single one of us in this room, bar none, was designed with one overriding purpose, and that's that we would glorify God in everything we do. That's why... At the end of the age, when God gathers all the nations together in front of him, every knee will bow, every, no exceptions. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, every single knee of every created being will bow. And every voice that can speak and express a sound will shout out that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bar none, every single one of us. We were created for that purpose. And the wonderful thing is that God created us with the abilities that we have been given, whether it's music or art or engineering or whatever it is that God has given you to do, that special thing that God designed you to do. He did it so that you would glorify him in doing that. So as we serve as employees of our human masters, we are to do so as slaves of Christ doing the will of God, as slaves of Christ completely consumed with glorifying God in everything we do. Paul said it this way. Sounds crazy, but listen. He says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whether you eat a cookie or drink a glass of orange juice, do it to the glory of God. Why would he use such mundane little things? Because he's trying to get a point across. It's not the what you do that's important. It's the how that you do it. And Paul is saying, listen, your desire as you serve and as you work for your human master is to do so to please God. You say, hang on a second, Nels. You're talking all about work through this and I'm retired. What about me? How you handle yourself on the golf course or on the bowls green or on the clubhouse. How you handle yourself in the shopping market. How you handle yourself as you drive. Ooh, I know, shouldn't have mentioned that one. How you handle yourself wherever you go. How you do that is to be to the glory of God. And as slaves of Christ, we don't stop being slaves of Christ at 5 p.m. and start being slaves of Christ again at 9 a.m. in the morning. We are slaves of Christ all through the day, no matter where we are and what we are doing. So everything we do, eating, drinking, sleeping, loving our wives, playing with our kids, doing our hobbies, doing our sports, doing whatever it is. They are to be done to the glory of God. He says, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
Your heartfelt desire is to glorify God in everything. We glorify God by the way we do our work. We glorify God by doing our work in the strength that he supplies. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God so supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ. We glorify God by acknowledging Him in all that we do. We glorify God by displaying Christ-likeness in all we do. When we do the work we've been assigned as doing the will of God, that glorifies Him. So if you sell shoes, sell shoes in the fear of the Lord with integrity and the intention to glorify God. If you build houses... Build houses to glorify God by fearing the Lord as you drive the nails. Work within sincerity and integrity, glorifying God as you desire as you do every part of your job. Slaves of Christ were to be consumed with fulfilling all of God's will. You know the beautiful thing is? When we do this, when we fear the Lord for every nail we drive with the hammer... When we fear the Lord and work as though He is watching us and not our boss in sincerity and integrity. When we do this, when we work, whatever your work is, with a desire to glorify God, God gives us an immense satisfaction in the work that we do. I can only say that from my own experience. I know it to be true. When my heart changes from selfish desire to get ahead in the company... My heart changes from selfish desire to get to not have to work in the rain. That was a common thing in Canada in, in carpentry. You had to work in the rain. I hated it. When my adjustment is to work to glorify God, to work in the fear of the Lord, in awe and amazement and adoration of who God is, when I work with the sincere desire to please Him, whether anybody could see me or not, all of a sudden there was an immense satisfaction in the work I was doing. And it didn't matter whether I was laying out a roof or cutting blocks for the floor. Two opposite extremes in the work I did. It didn't matter because there was a satisfaction knowing that I was doing it to please the Lord. And He is pleased and He is interested in the small details of the way you do your work. We're to obey as slaves of Christ by imitating Christ who desired the glory of God. He desired the glory of God in everything he did. Listen to what he said. In John 12, verses 27-28, Jesus said, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In other words, I'm here. I've come all the way, 33 years, I'm finally here, I'm on the brink of going to the cross. Father, glorify your name as I go to the cross. And the Bible says that a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In other words, God was answering his prayer. Jesus was crying out and praying to God that God would glorify his own name in his work on the cross. Christ's desire in going to the cross was that God's name was be glorified. So brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever it is that God has given you to do, glorify God with your life. Glorify God with your work. 
Glorify God even with your death. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He got it. He understood that he was to glorify God and not just in the way he lived, but in the way he would die. Servants, let us obey our masters as doing the will of God from the heart, glorifying God in everything we do. Fourthly, the servant's knowledge. I said before, there's two main verbs that carry this passage along. Slurves, slaves, sorry, be obedient or obey is the first main command. And the second one is verse 8, knowing this. We have a certain knowledge. The knowledge is simply this, that God will reward our work. That's what he's saying in verse 8. Let me read the verse to you. He says, Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Knowing that whatever good thing he does, this he will receive back. This he will be repaid or rewarded is the way to think of it. So we go through all of our work. We go through the job that God has assigned to us. Maybe God's put you in a bank. Or maybe he's put you in a real estate sales office. Or maybe he's put you on a warehouse floor, a manufacturing floor. Maybe he's put you in food preparation. Maybe he's put you wherever God has put you. But we do that work knowing that we will be rewarded. And you say, yes, I know, I get a paycheck every Friday. Or I get a paycheck every Monday morning. Or whatever it is, how you get paid. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a reward that God will give us for serving him to glorify him in everything we do. Remember what Paul said? I'm going to read that verse again. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded, in other words, for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God sees everything we do. But unlike our bosses that only see us working faster when they walk by, our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, sees the depths of our heart. He sees the motive, the desires, the sincerity or the lack of it behind it. And God will reward us for the work that we do. You say, why are you driving home this point? Why can't you leave work outside these four walls and just talk about the Christian life inside the four walls? Because work is a part of the Christian life. And here's the problem, and this is the last point, number five, the servant's worship. Worship is an expression of love from our hearts to God. Worship is a spiritual communication between God and man to express our devotion, our affection, our submission, our satisfaction, and our delight in God. There's lots of vehicles, tools, if you like, that we use in order to express that worship. For example, Rod and Steve, they, they, they Christopher, sorry, play the violin and the piano. And we use music and singing as a tool or a vehicle to convey worship to God. We pray. We stop and we bow our heads and we begin to speak and the thoughts of our hearts are meditated over our lips. And we speak and we pray. And the speaking of prayer is a vehicle for which we convey that worship, that love and devotion for God to Him. We use Bible reading and prayer. We express worship in preaching. 
The whole goal of preaching as I'm preaching is my heart goes up to God and worship as I preach. And your hearts are inflamed and fired up to worship God as you hear what's being said. As your attention is being pointed towards Christ. There are lots of different vehicles we can use to worship and work is one of them. We express worship through the vehicle of work. Paul says, whatever you do then, whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. When we work and serve with a godly attitude, fearing the Lord, then our work becomes a vehicle to worship God. When we work with godly integrity, a sincerity of heart, desiring to please the Lord, then our work becomes a vehicle to express worship to God. When we work with a desire to glorify God in everything we do, then our work becomes a way to worship God. You see, the problem is that we have developed is that we separate worship from all other parts of life. We've decided that the contents of these four walls, this two hours together around the Lord's table, together with God's people, this is our worship time. And my my time in the gym on Monday morning, that's my gym time. That's my exercise time. And my time in my worship, well, that's my time to, to unwind and make shavings and sawdust and deafen myself. That's different time. And we have mistakenly in the Christian life, we've compartmentalized all these different parts of our life. My kid time, my wife time, my music time, my workshop time, my gym time. And we've sort of said, well, then in the middle of all this is church is my worship time. That's a total mistake. That's why Jesus was saying to the woman at the well that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. He did not say who will worship at this time and not that time. So therefore, the work that we do, if you think about it, you spend more time at work than pretty much anything else you do. Maybe bar sleeping, if you like to sleep lots. But work is where we spend a great deal of our time. And the work that we do, and Paul is trying to get this point across the slaves. When you're serving as slaves of your master, do so as slaves of Christ with a desire to glorify God. With a desire to fear the Lord as you work. And we all know Paul's own testimony, right? He's chained between two Roman soldiers when he's under house arrest in Rome. And he writes, praise the Lord that those two guys got saved. Because as he's working away, as his apostle work and writing letters and, and dealing with people, these two poor Roman soldiers sitting one on either side of him, chained up to his wrists, are hearing everything he's saying. And they're watching this man in chains who is going to be beheaded for his faith. And they trust the Lord alongside of Paul. Paul, sorry, God used Paul when he put him in the prison cell doing his work as an apostle to save those he was alongside of. God will use you in the workplace in the school, in the office building, in the hospital ward, on the job site, wherever it is, on the golf course, in the gym, on the tennis court. Because when we do everything that we do with the intention to glorify God in a fear of the Lord and a sincerity of heart, it is it becomes an act of worship which others watch and see. And they see there's something different. Because then even the work we do becomes a savoring of the beauty and the wonder of the Lord our God. And we display that by the way we work.
I just I stand back and think of what an amazing God He is. Not only did He say, you must not no more come to a temple. He said, you go out and you work wherever God has placed you. And as you work, you worship in your heart and those around will see you. And they'll see the wonder of who you are and you will portray the glory of my name to those you work alongside. And you'll have opportunities to share your faith. I wasn't the greatest carpenter in the world. Most of my houses look like this. No, I'm kidding. They don't. But I always had something else in mind. I wanted to serve the Lord. And one day I was working alongside this, this other guy and he, he wasn't a carpenter and he, he didn't know much about building stuff. And we were doing... Uh, you don't have it here. It's called shingle sidewall, where they take cedar shingles and we would nail them on the side of a house like a weatherboard. We call it siding. You call it clabbards, I think, or weatherboard, something like that. We use shingles, like cedar split shingles, and we would nail them on the house. It's very labor-intensive, and I was working on one little section, and he was around a corner from me working on another section, and, and he was turning the air blue because he couldn't quite get the thing to work the way it was supposed to work. And I was getting frustrated because I didn't want to be there. It was raining again in Vancouver. What are the odds? And I work along, and the Lord just said, You know what? Not an audible voice, but he just laid on my heart. you got an opportunity to minister and share your faith. And you don't have to do it by getting around a corner and putting out a, a box on the ground and standing up behind him on the box and start preaching a sermon at the poor guy while he was trying to work. You can do it by the way that you work. You can do it by the way that you show love to him in that moment. And I stopped and I, I went around a corner and I asked him what was wrong. And he said, oh, he couldn't get the, the level thing to work properly. And I loaned him some tools and we started working together. And all through that day and most of the week, we worked side by side. And we had a great time working. And I was able to share my faith with him. He didn't come to know the Lord. But when he stands before God one day and God says, I put Nelson around the corner from you, working you on that job site that week to tell you about Jesus. Did you listen? See, God has put you wherever He's put you. A classroom, whatever it may be. He's put you there and He's given you the beautiful opportunity to use your work as a way to worship Him. And as you worship Him and, and live in that delight in God, your testimony will flow out of you. Whether You, you won't even have to stop it. Because people will say, why is it that that guy... Or that girl, why is it they work so differently than the rest of us? What's the difference? And trust me, in a world where we live, where work and submission to authority and doing a good job and working whether people can see you or not is fast becoming a very much the rarity and not the norm. When we say, I work this way not because the boss who pays us pays me better. I work this way because my master, my boss, is a Jewish carpenter who died for me on a cross. And I work to serve him, not the company. And the benefit is I get to work for a company too. But I work in fear of him, in awe and amazement and adoration for him who put me here. I work in the sincerity of my heart because I want to please him. I work because my desire is to glorify God in everything I do. Does that mean you're never going to stuff up at your job? No. 
uh, from experience, I can say you'll still make mistakes. And they might be doozies once in a while. But the difference is a desire to glorify God in everything you do, even how you handle the mistakes you make in your job, will glorify God. What an amazing master we have in Christ who has given us such a tremendous opportunity to use skills, abilities, and talents that he has blessed us with to enjoy working, but to do so to glorify him and honor him in everything we do. Would you stand, please? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing our benediction. Loving Father, we give you thanks again for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Father, we think of those words again in Philippians 2, that he humbled himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant, a slave, a doulos. And Father, we give you thanks that his, his will was completely consumed with doing your will and glorifying you. He could even say, oh, Father, that his will, sorry, his food was to do the will of the one who sent him and to accomplish your work. His satisfaction was found in glorifying you and doing the work that you gave him to do. And, Father, we give you thanks that we are called in Scripture sons and daughters of God. We are called in Scripture, oh, God, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also called slaves and servants of Christ. Father, we pray, we cry out to you, O God, and we give thanks for the jobs that you have blessed us with. And Father, just as a side note, as as we're we're praying, Lord, I would ask, O God, for those who are looking for jobs in this room, in this church, Father, we pray that you would lead them and direct them to the job that they can be involved in, that they can glorify your name with. Father, meet those needs that are there. Give them a desire to glorify you in the job that you provide them with. But Father, for those, the rest of us who have jobs and go out each day, Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, whatever it is, oh God, Father, I pray, I plead with you that we would use those jobs as a way to glorify you, as a way to worship you Monday through Friday. Father, Help us never to take those things for granted. To always remember that they are a gift from you. To be used for your glory. Just as surely as a musical gift or a singing gift or a preaching gift is to be used for your glory. So also, O God, are those talents and abilities that you have blessed us with. Father, thank you for the way that you designed us and created us. That one overriding purpose, to glorify you in whatever, however it is that we do it. Father, the wonder of the diversity of the gifts that we have and the talents and abilities. Father, yet the single purpose of them all is to glorify you and honor you. Father, for those of us who have working careers and, and sitting here this morning, even standing here this morning, Father, have been brought to question how they are working and whether or not it is truly pleasing to you, whether they are doing their work as 
eye service to please men or doing their work in the sincerity of heart to please you. Father, we pray for those who are considering their work and the need to make some changes. Lord, bless them and encourage them. Help them to make changes that they might glorify you where you have placed them. Father, for those who are retired, and some in this room, Lord, have spent years, decades working to serve and please you in the work that they have been doing, and now find they have time on their hands. Father, we pray that you would give the, them joy in their retirement, but also the freedom to use their retirement to glorify you, whether it's on a golf course or whether it's in an, an art class or wherever it may be. Father, we cry out to you for them that you would encourage them and show them ways in which they can use their time to glorify you and build up their brothers and sisters in Christ and spread the gospel wherever they go. Father, for those who are still students and studying and training, Lord, and all the demands and strains of being a student at union, Lord, the, the time demand, it is great, Father. But, Father, we pray that you would help them to see that their studies can be used to glorify you that the knowledge, the information that's storing away by the reams in the back of their mind to be used at exam time, Father, help them also to see that that knowledge, that information can be used to glorify you in prayer and in worship wherever they are. Father, we give you thanks that you are seeking worshipers to worship you in spirit and truth, using the work, the employment, the hobbies, the jobs that you have given us. Father, again, we ask you for your blessing on this church as a whole. Lord, thank you for a great host of kids here. Lord, what a thrill it is to our hearts to see them all up here, to know they're off in class. Father, we pray that they would hear the gospel message loud and clear and simple, that they would trust you and be saved. Lord, it is our desire not to build a Sunday school, to pack it full of kids, to say we got a big Sunday school. But, Father, it's our desire to build a Sunday school so that many young ones would come to know Christ to commit their lives to serving and following Him in everything they do. Father, for the moms and dads bringing the kids on Sunday morning, Lord, we ask You special blessing on them to encourage their hearts as they seek to raise kids for the Lord. Father, we thank You for our time together. We thank You for a time of worship. We thank You for a memory again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask Your blessing on our day and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.